Good morning. Now that we have time sorted out. Um, so some of you may know that I was scheduled to speak a couple of weeks ago and I didn't show up because I had a ear surgery and I didn't realize it would have such negative effects and then I couldn't come on Sunday to speak. So Dyson, Dyson filled in for me, which is wonderful. Here she is. Oh, over there in the back. So I'm going to give that talk now. Uh, you know, on my teacher uh, gave me her spot this week. So anybody was expecting me out on and I'm here. Bear <laughs> <laughs> with. Um, <laughs> um, so the talk I'm giving, uh, you know, Within our, our year of talks at Clouds and Waters, uh, there's some reoccurring themes that are addressed, and the one we're addressing today is reconciliation and ethics, uh, which I really like, so I'm glad I got this one. Um, so, what I want to do today uh, is share a story from the Lotus Sutra. I'm not reading the whole book. This is brought it to show you, and it's uh, translated um, by Jean Reeves. Um, so, just a little background on the Lotus Sutra. It um, it's an ancient sutra that was mostly in East Asia and also available in Japan for hundreds of years. So it's been an influence on Zen as well as Chan Buddhism in China. So uh, originally it's thought to have come from India, although there's no written copies of it uh, from that time. The only written copies were in Chinese. Uh, that have been discovered. And so this uh, Jean Reeves translated from Chinese. So um, it's interesting because you, it makes me think of the cultures that this story kind of wound itself through and that it was preserved and thought valuable. Um, we just finished, uh, seems like we just finished, but we had Rohatsu session or a seven day retreat. And during that time, uh, we also heard quite a few stories about Buddhist enlightenment. And personally, I enjoy the teaching stories, which are a big part of Buddhism, uh, because they help me see where I'm at. So by, uh, kind of feeling into the characters of the story, I can see what I'm bringing to my experience in this um, following of Buddhism that I've chosen. And hopefully people here, some people are new, or some people have been here for decades. Uh, but what we all share today is that we're interested in this. So the teaching 
uh, can be shared through the stories. And I did give someone some little cards and pens. I was hoping that could, each person could get a pen and a card. I'll do that now. Um, what I want, if you want to, if you're willing, while you're listening to the story, um, to make a note of what comes up for you on certain words or the theme of the story. And also, if, if you could, if it seems to make sense, sort of view this story from uh, your own internal crowd inside of you. <laughs> um, I mean, not everybody has experience. Maybe for you, there's only the one um, identity that you have. But there's also, for some of us, that there's a variety of voices that are active in our minds. And and so I think with a story like this, you can sort of say, yeah, I've, I've done that, or I've done this, or I've been that person in the story, or I've been that other person in the story. So I'm hoping we can look at it that way rather than, oh, I remember X person, they did that, you know, like some uh, outer observation you made about other people. So it's more of a examination of your own uh, interaction with Buddhism really is what the story is about. Um, but I don't want to give too much of the context of it because I first want to read it to you just as a story. Um, and before I start, that um, just to put us in on the same page with the word reconciliation, I'm using this definition today, what I want to bring for you today. Um, so here it is, the rec reconciliation, the process of returning, returning to a dynamic state of unity, harmony, and peace. So if we're returning, that means we've fallen out of harmony and a dynamic state of unity. And Buddhism teaches, like, they like we like lists, and um, this is a common one that many of us know, the eight worldly winds, or the eight worldly dharmas, or eight worldly teachings. Uh, these pretty much our nice summary of what could cause disharmony, uh, chasing after or being pushed by pleasure, pain, gain, loss, praise, blame, fame, and disrepute. So how we fall out of harmony is chasing after these things or being pushed by them. Um, and they're mind objects, right? It's, it's usually in our head. And then there's a process of having to find out how to return to harmony if, if that's what we value. 
And there's all, it's also proposed that within being in harmony, this is a way to lessen suffering. So that's the motivation. <laughs> um, okay, so let me just go ahead with this story. So the name of the story is a rich parent and the poor child. So right away for me, on my list, I'd be rich, poor. <laughs> How do we decide this? You know, so it's something like that. If a word's popping out at you, like, I don't like that word. I don't like what it implies. Um, or I really like that word. Just jot it down. Um, and really what I'm thinking with this is it helps it helps focus the mind, I think, when we have to take a pen and write something on a paper and, and you're just catching it. So just catch it as it arises and this will be for you um, to just take home and have as like, oh, I still, this is still really an important thing for me. And I'm wondering how is that affecting me? So. Here's the story. When still a child, a person named T ran away from home only to live a life of desperate poverty, moving from place to place in search of menial work. Meanwhile, the parent who had become extremely rich and powerful searched everywhere for the lost child, but could not find T. One day, T, who was now an adult, accidentally came to the place where the parent lived. T saw the parent in the distance, surrounded by servants and other signs of great wealth, but did not recognize a wealthy person as a relative or a parent. T began to flee in fear of such wealth and power, but the parent, having secretly longed for the lost child for many decades, and wanting the child to have an inheritance, recognized the adult child immediately and sent a servant after T. But when the servant caught up with T out of fear of being put to work or even killed, T pleaded innocence and fell to the ground in a faint. Seeing this, the parent told the servant to wake up T with a dousing of cold water and also to tell T to go freely wherever T wanted to go and that T would be left alone. T went on to another village to look for food and clothing. Later, the parent secretly sent two unimposing, poorly dressed servants to go to the child and offer work at double pay, shoveling animal dung. To this, T agreed and went to work at the parents' estate. Later, seeing how poorly the child looked, the parent wore a disguise as a lowly barn supervisor and went to T, giving praise for T's work and offering better wages and treatment if T would continue to work in the barn, explaining that as an older working person with no children, T would be treated just like an adult 
child. T was pleased and continued to shovel dung for another 20 years. <laughs> Gradually becoming more confident and more trusted by the parent who often wore a disguise and visited with T. But still lacking self-confidence, T nonetheless continued to have a very low self-regard and live in a hovel outside the gate of the estate. Eventually, the rich parent became ill. Knowing life would end soon, the parent asked T to take charge of the estate and business. As the time of death grew near, the parent called together various officials, relatives, friends, and servants, and revealed to them that the poor person named T was in fact the long lost child, and T would inherit all of the parent's wealth. T was very amazed by the outcome of such enormous, unexpected wealth. The end. So, a simple, simple story. Um, maybe we can have a few people share. Anybody wanna? Kim, or Valentine. How do we? find ourselves unworthy of the sacred and have not avail ourselves of relevant competencies. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you could retell it again. How do we find ourselves unworthy of the sacred and hence not avail ourselves of the relevant competencies? All of a sudden we come into wealth. Yeah. So it was a question in your mind. Anyone else? Well, when I was uh, discussing this with a friend, um, what came up in our discussion was, why did the child leave in the first place, right? I mean, was it the parents doing, like being overbearing? It's a wealthy person that you know, obviously very bright and capable, but maybe they were hard on the child. You know, that's one scenario. Or uh, maybe the child was wanted to be famous, you know, and go play music somewhere. <laughs> it didn't work out. I don't pick on musicians, but, um, <laughs> you know, fame is often a, a reason people leave home wanting to become something, right? Um, uh, the other uh, thing I did with this story is I took out the male and the female because I feel it's a story of a relationship between a parent, it's the parenting relationship or the child to a parent and whether it's a father and a son or a mother and a daughter, it's still that power differential. Um, and, and I think that's hard in a story because depending in your mind, who are you in the story? Are you the child? Are you the parent? And some of us have both experiences and some people only one experience. So I think it's good to try.
try it out from both points of views. And this is a story about reconciliation of they were separated for some reason. And then, and then one of them doesn't recognize the other person, which I think is, is really a telling statement, like how it is difficult to reconcile when one person isn't identified as uh, a beloved person. Uh, as as valuable as a parent or a child. So when we're trying to reconcile in a situation and identifying something as stranger or other, you know, the, the child in this story <clears throat> is obviously not actively reconciling because he's keep, he is keeping it like, I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone and the parent is actively reconciling. So I think that's number one. Um, interesting thing for me is that the person that sees in a loving way is got more of the um, active role in reconciliation. And this is where I want to just go over our uh, list of precepts for people that are not um, familiar with the precepts. I'll just read them. Um, I'm just the shorter version and in the negative uh, for this purpose. Um, so we have not killing, not stealing, not misusing sexuality, not being deluded and not giving or taking intoxicants, not talking about others' errors and faults, not elevating oneself and blaming others, not being stingy, not indulging in anger, not thinking ill of the three treasures which are um, Specialized for Buddhism is Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, which is uh, the Buddha being kind of a universal unity. Let me say that for now. There's a symbolism of that. The Dharma is the teaching, and the Sangha is the community. So not thinking ill of those things. So coming from a person that's practicing the precepts, and we're attempting reconciliation, we're practicing the precepts. We have these ways that we want to be, then reconciliation is very real to us if we're truly practicing that. Uh, and there's gonna be many circumstances in which another person is not practicing that and they're considering uh, they're, they're more involved with the worldly dharmas or using those as their guide in life. So that's in the me and another person. But how about me and me? <laughs> Which I think, oh, is where we're at. Um, 
in this story as I asked, like, can we look at it from me and me? Like, what's going on for me? So when I was sitting uh, in our session that we had, the seven-day session, and um, yes, I was cooking. I wasn't always sitting. <laughs> but at the times when I was sitting, the story was in my mind and and I was distracted because I was cooking and it was coming to me. I was strongly feeling being the child and being the one uh, that not wanting to be with the parent for what not wanting to be with Buddha. So we were, we were practicing enlightenment, you know, we were studying enlightenment and yeah, we were practicing it. We were feeling into that. What would it be like to be enlightened? And we're enlightened with Buddha. And it doesn't mean we attained enlightenment, but we were considering the possibility. And I definitely was considering the possibility of it. And yet there was another very strong part of my identity that was feeling left out. I find it really interesting this way that the son or the child positions themselves outside the gate in a rundown house and in a, and so you know, when I first read it, and I was like, this is very classist. <laughs> that person is a servant. They're doing a rotten job. And, and then they got this powerful figure. And But I think this story makes it clear the, pers the person chose this over and over. And it was also pointed out they didn't have confidence. They weren't accepting of... of generosity. Um, and certainly we can be conditioned to take that role and that's and it's not the person's fault for taking that role and maybe uh, you know many of us know of people that had a bad start and or they've never had a chance. And so they take that role and they take that role repeatedly. Um, so I don't, I don't feel the person choosing that is to be held accountable or seen as a bad person, you know. And yet when I was turning it on myself in that light, I did feel like a bad person. Like I'm choosing to feel left out. I'm choosing to think the same thoughts over and over and over, which I've when I was sitting in session, I was like, this is just like shoveling down. This is just, <laughs> right? I mean, it's unpleasant. It doesn't smell good. It's, and it's repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. And, and I love how they put years. And there's another version of this story where there's like for 80 years. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it, it will just go on and on indefinitely. Um, and, 
and perpetuate itself. Like you can perpetuate it to your next generation of people that are close to you, young people that are close to you, that you can teach. Yeah, all you're worthy of is to um, think these thoughts that are making you unhappy. And the thoughts that we are thinking are, are directing our life choices. So, um, so the reconciliation is with um, Buddha. And in the, so the context of the story within the sutra is that he had these uh, followers or disciples or his close students. And throughout this sutra, as the chapters go on, he'll say, okay, you know, follower number one, guess what? You're going to become enlightened. And, and then the, that person's like ecstatic and they're all celebrating. We can't believe it that, you know, in a thousand years, this person will be enlightened. And it was like this incredible time period, but they're still happy. And um, then they uh, sort of in the beginning of the sutra, they get together and say, well, here's a story to explain how we feel and how we see what's going on for us. And so they were seeing themselves <clears throat> as this um, child that was uh, struggling and having a poor job and poor opinion of themselves. And when the Buddha um, said to them, you're going to be enlightened, they felt like they got all of this wealth and treasure and, and they were receiving this incredible inheritance. And so this was their way of sort of painting the picture of their internal experience of this um, amazing gift that the Buddha was sharing with them. And, you know, and then the story was being shared among uh, anybody interested in Buddhism to explain, like, it feels like this, you know, when you, you realize <clears throat> what Buddhism has to offer and that you could actually live a different life. Um, and I just wanted to share uh, quickly um, one way to think of Buddha besides a historical Buddha, because the story wouldn't apply to us. We didn't. We don't get to follow the real historical Buddha. We are now thousands of years distance from that time. But if we, I consider it often in this way of the Buddha bodies. So we have the Buddha bodies are what was discovered by Buddha when he was enlightened and what he taught and then what uh, is considered to be true reality, which cannot fade away and cannot be uh, lost, basically. It's always there. So... Dharmakaya, the true nature of reality, unity, expansiveness. Nirmanakaya, which is the transformation body. Um, and Sambhogakaya, the reward body. So the Sambhokaya is the interdependence and harmony and Nirmanakaya is sometimes considered the uniqueness. Uh, 
um, of the manifestation of Buddha nature for each person or each thing or each animal or so the wide variety that we see in life. And so these three are saying kind of the same thing, but there are different aspects of it. And so this is when I hear Buddha, I often think of this. So reconciliation with the boundlessness of life. When I'm considering myself to be a downtrodden person that's not making it because I'm sitting on the cushion, I can't, I can't settle down. Or I yell at somebody because I'm mad at somebody else. Or you know, breaking the precepts. I took something when I was 28 that I'll never forget. I took my coworker's mug <laughs> because I needed a cup of coffee so bad, and I took it and. I didn't wash it and I put it back and she was so mad. And then she went and bought me a new mug. It's like, here, you could, it was like a slap in the face. And she didn't, you know, she didn't know how to rein me in, you know, but I did that. And I, I will never forget I did that. And then whenever I hear, don't steal, I'm like, oh, a mug. <laughs> you know? and, and so there is these, there are the urges, obviously, and we do it. We just take what we want, or we talk about somebody when we shouldn't. Like we're mad at them, but we don't want to reconcile. We just want to be mad, and we talk about it. You know. So, um, <clears throat> so reconciling again with the harmony of all things, rather than staying in this grasping, greedy, angry place, which feels very justified. Maybe it's justified, but it's not leading to reconciliation. And that has been a, a I'm glad that word just popped back up, because that has been my struggle in life. I want justice. And it's to me a very puzzling thing. It's like, I was, someone brought up to me yesterday, I was bringing up justice again, and they said, what about mercy? You know, and, and that she had realized a couple of decades before, like, instead of striving for justice, I'm gonna strive for mercy. And however that will play out in, life or my life or your life and I think harmony is a part of mercy wanting harmony rather than um, you know vindication like I could really see this parent like you left you don't even recognize me you're not taking care of yourself I mean how frustrating that would be a parent and yet uh, the parent just keeps going out of the way you know in all these different ways trying to reach out to this child and they feel the disguise is important too like it comes in ways that we're not recognizing as Buddha and yet it's a reminder like well 
there's kindness. There's, uh, you know, there's unlimited space. There's little reminders about that. Uh, as I was driving in, there was a cloud of vapor from a factory and the sun was hitting it just right and there was a rainbow in there. <laughs> now, I actually don't think I've ever seen that in my life, a rainbow and a cloud of vapor. And it just reminded me of how spacious everything is, like the, these all these particles of water interacting with the sunlight and just the right time, just the right place. And it's happening all over the place, everywhere, without anything about me controlling it. It's just um, pretty amazing. And that, that's Buddha, you know, just anything that can catch my attention and take me out of, of the self, Uh, what? How much time do we have left? Eight. Eight minutes. Okay. So I did want to read another piece. Um, this is from um, a Dogen writing, uh, Gyoji. Uh, Dogen, uh, Zen master Dogen was born in 1200 and died in 1253 and is considered the founder of the Soto sect. Um, so this reading, Gyoji, is, translates ceaseless practice. The great way of Buddhas and ancestors invariably involves unsurpassed ceaseless practice. This practice rolls on in a cyclic manner without interruption. Not a moment's gap has occurred in their giving rise to and they as the Buddhas and ancestors, giving rise to the intention to realize Buddhahood in their doing the training and practice, in their experiencing enlightenment, and in their realizing nirvana. For the great way of ceaseless practice rolls on just like this. As a result, the practice is not done by forcing oneself to do it, and it is not done by being forced to do it by someone else. It is a ceaseless practice that is never tainted by forcing. The merits from this ceaseless practice sustain us and sustain others. Moreover, if we wish to grasp what ceaseless practice is, we should not make a special case out of every new thing that comes along. This is because from the perspective of dependent origination, there is simply ceaseless practice and ceaseless practice does not come about as a result of depending upon anything. If anyone tries to set aside ceaseless practice, ignoring it in an attempt to conceal their intention to escape from ceaseless practice, this too would be ceaseless practice. So I feel that um, when I read this in conjunction with the story, um, the son, a child, was ceaselessly practicing, the daughter. Um, in, in that way of, of laboring, 
And as we often do as humans, ruminating or repeat, 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 we're practicing. Uh, the parent is also ceaseless practice, reaching out, reaching out, trying to get the message across. And the parent is Buddha. Um, and at the end of the story, you know, there is the treasure of realization. So at the beginning of what I read for you, it's the intention is raised, the training and the practice. Um, enlightenment, clearly, clearly seeing, being awakened to your true circumstance and uh, realizing nirvana is extinguishing um, greed, hate, and delusion. But this is also a cycle, right? So they don't stay there celebrating with the treasure. Something happens, they get knocked off your balance point and it starts again, raising the intention. And I think it's the same thing with reconciling. We're always reconciling with the mundane life that's very unsatisfying. Um, the, the injustice, always having to reconcile with that. Um, but in the few lines down, it says, it doesn't really matter. Don't We should not make a special case out of every new thing that comes along. Um, which is hard because these horrible circumstances that pop up seem something new, like it's different this time, but it's not really different. It's the same disharmony in a different uh, look. No. So I will stop there, and if anybody... That's a quick question. Be happy to answer if I could. Like, would you say the def read the definition again of reconciliation? Oh, sure. Uh, the process of returning to a dynamic state of unity, harmony, and peace. I love that it's a dynamic state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The look of it will keep changing. And your role, your role within the harmony will change. I like how that fits um, also with the continuing to come back to one's intention, mm -hmm. because sometimes it's like, yo, what's my intention? And then, oh, well, do I really want to come back to that? <laughs> um, and then, and, and, and it's of course, yes, but that sometimes does take a dynamic set of energy and focus and determination. Right. Um, but, but, um, yeah, that certainly is the goal for unity, harmony, and peace in my own existence with the present moment.
Thank you. I think we have a question on Zoom. Go ahead. What if the parent had to sell the son? Would that change the story any? And the parent is actually trying to reconcile with the son? But the son doesn't recognize the father because that's the father recognizing the father would be the father who sold him, kind of thing. It seems to me <clears throat> that that was a very non-BIPOC interpretation. Thank you. Yeah, so, it, and it is a story that it has a lot of charge to it because it's a, a, a parent and child being separated. And we know there's a lot of horrific stories around why that happens. And so I appreciate what you're saying and how what we all bring to stories is, you know, our life experience or what we've heard of happening in, in the world. So the context though of the story when it was offered within the sutra was of, of the, the father, the parent is the Buddha. So that's, you know, what, what it was originally intended for. So if the story was not specifically about that, I would agree with you mm -hmm. um, in the sense of what is the story. But I, I do agree what we bring to the story is very important. And the challenges between uh, people with power and people that don't have power um, can't be understated. And it, it's been very destructive throughout the ages of what people with power have done. So that's definitely a story that's out, that's part of our reality. But there's also the reality of, of people choosing to leave their home, whatever your literal home or your, your, your spiritual home and, and having to reconcile with that. So we could look at the story in many different ways. It also occurs to me though that, you know, it's like that funny when you say ran away in the speech ran away, it's like you know, Present, um, the presence of the parent has this very visibility that 
children are, you know, grandchildren disappear, run away due to things like. Kathleen, can you take your mask off? Maybe oh, okay, take sorry. Lovely, okay, you're not sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, it seemed to me though that instead of running away and um, like, like, wow, is that that's a big question. But that children um, run away from their parents in relation to the choices like chemical use and dependency, okay. and. Um, and they may be in that, and in that they can't recognize this parent. Whereas the Buddha, so similarly, if we're an individual caught up in our whatever addictions, um, it doesn't have to be addiction, but I think of that running away and then trying to kind of put it on the parent somehow it's strange. It's a, you know, that it's just another, it's another way of defining delusion. Because when a child runs away in relation to chemical use and abuse, they started a delusional um, process of you know losing themselves. They can't recognize it here. They can't. It's impossible. Until so anyway, just a quick right ways of running away. Right. I think. Um, It's, yeah, it's, and you know, if you're the, in my mind and in my heart, when I'm the child and I ran away, you know, and I did, I ran away from, uh, I know we're running out of time, um, but I just, I just want to answer this question with my own personal story. Quickly, uh, so when I was young, I just decided to try meditating by myself. And I had a very, like, ecstatic experience, what we would call the bliss experience, right? And I was out of my body. I was, I mean, it was really, really incredible. I've never forgotten it. And I was maybe 20. And at the time, I was like, oh, what makes sense that I could do this? I don't know why I thought that, you know, and it made sense to me, like, maybe, you know, maybe I could have a whole life of, of meditating. And and then very quickly, I just like, no, that's weird. I don't want to do it. I want to I wanna drink. I want to go to parties. I want to, and I, you know, yeah, I had some time of using chemicals in different ways, and I wanted that lifestyle. So when I hear this story, I'm not, I'm not blaming the 20 year old person, but I know that there was definitely a point where I was like, I do have this ability. I do have this interest, but I'm not going to do it. And there was quite a bit of unpleasantness in my life because of that. And it's not to say that happens to everybody. I'm, I'm not saying that, but it's, Everybody has their own story that I've heard about a something like that. Like I had an idea that I could, you know, have a, a deeper life and I chose not to, right? But some people are forced into that and some people are sold and some people are betrayed by their families or they're betrayed by society because of the color of their skin. And I'm not denying that. And it's sometimes it's done to you and sometimes you do it to yourself, right? 
Uh, however, there's we still have to make that intention to take steps away from whatever has been forced onto us. So I don't know. We, um, and I'm not a person of color, so I can't say that that the story is totally white. Um, I believe that some stories are more conducive than others to helping us discover what's going on inside of us. And that's why I did share the story. So, any other, we're done? Oh. Um, I, I was thinking that that part of the story might have been intentionally left blank about why he left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because so many people could write in their own mm -hmm. narrative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 